I had actually no idea how to sell. My first coach was actually a sales coach. So the biggest mistake people make is they think that what they do makes them money. And actually what makes them money is marketing and selling what they do. Adam Urbanski is now known worldwide as the Millionaire Marketing Mentor. He helps entrepreneurs who want to speed up their seven-figure growth and simplify their business. But before you think this is just another story of a coach quitting their nine-to-five to be their own boss, think again. Adam's story is like nothing you've heard before. Coming from Poland with less than $200 in his pocket, he sold his company for millions at age 29. What? I sold off that business. So in about a decade, you know, it's like starting with 194 bucks to a multi-million dollar business. And people always asking us like, what's the story? What are the tricks? There were no tricks, just hard work. I was saving whatever money I could scramble, I would put away. And then I think that this was my lesson into leveraging money. No, no, no. We're not going to let him get off that easily. In this episode, you'll hear Adam's incredible coming to America story and how he built his empire one opportunity at a time. Trust me, if you think you're starting from scratch, this story will make you feel lucky that you are starting where you are. We had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview inside our uncut vault at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. In the full version, you'll get the full background story as Adam navigates the impossible to come to the U.S. And we get deeper into the mind of the seven-figure marketing genius. To watch, go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're decorating for Halloween, step off that ladder carefully and head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the millionaire marketing mentor himself, Adam Urbanski. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career path responsible for multiple self-made millionaires, opening the doors for experts and professionals like you and me to stop living paycheck to paycheck and design a rich and abundant life with one purpose to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Hello, everybody. Today I have with me the millionaire marketing mentor, Adam Urbanski. Hi, Adam. How are you today? I am great, Ina. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. I've got to say, I'm a little petrified just outing myself right out of the gate. <laughs> And, you know, we're going to get to why that is. But I feel like everybody who knows you already and who knows the magic that you do for them in their businesses in the world, they want to get to know the real you. They want to know where you came from, where this grit came from. And I would love to find out more about you. Are you ready for this? Let's dive in. Okay. So are what, you prepared for a lot of monosyllable answers? If you give me monosyllabic <laughs> answers, I'm going to be diving even deeper. I'm going to ask you an even harder question. So let's set the ground rules now. Let's get deep. So why don't we start with you defining a little bit for us what you do and who you serve? I should know a good answer for this, especially after I just posted a post 
<laughs> discussing how most people don't know a good answer to that question. So I specialize in helping service-based expertpreneurs rapidly accelerate the businesses. And we do it first in 12 weeks, we help them make as much as they've made in the previous 12 months combined. And then we scale it from there to seven figures on annual basis. And service-based B2B expertpreneurs, as I mentioned in that sentence, that's who I love working with. I love it. So why don't we start way back? You grew up in Poland, is that correct? That's correct. All right. And that is probably as much personal information as I was able to dig up on you. So we're going Seriously? to... Seriously? You, we are going to dive deeper. So why don't you tell us a little bit of what it was like growing up being you in Poland? You know, so I'll share with you, uh, you said like what would change uh, outing us both here. So at the beginning of this conversation, we're in green room, Ina is prepping me and she's asking me what kind of questions, you know, I'll be willing to uh, answer and am I... Uh, am I uncomfortable? So, you know, I did a series of podcast interviews, probably about 40 in a year, maybe a little bit more, about three, four years ago. And actually, many of them went into this personal nature. So there's actually a lot of information that's very behind the scenes about me. I don't I know how popular those podcasts back. were or not, but but they're out there. So the question about growing up in Poland, kind of what should people know about me? It's cold. I'm actually back in Poland right now. We are recording this. I'm actually in Poland. It's uh, What time is it for you? It is almost four o'clock in the afternoon. All right. Well, it's almost 10 p.m. at night for me. So spending a lot of night hours because a lot of my clients are in uh, U.S., California based on nine hour time difference. But, you know, there is a joke in Poland that the time difference between Poland and U.S. is about nine hours plus 30 years. And then how so, does plus 10 years? Coming to the United States from Poland was just massive cultural shock because it was almost like stepping from black and white movie into full color, mm -hmm. right? Like age, not just full color, HD full color. It's just like, whoa, completely different. I had very loving family. I have two siblings, both older. My parents were entrepreneurial. And in communism Poland, there was only a handful of businesses that were allowed to function as a privately owned businesses, like under communism, everything is owned by the government. You don't own anything. You don't own it. the place you live. There's no private businesses. And so bakeries, butcheries, and shoe repair shops were some of the few that were allowed to function independently. And my father was a baker, owned a bakery. And I grew up in a fairly small town up until my uh, early teens. And the funny thing is that in the town, I, I was literally known to everyone as a baker's kid. Like people would just know you. So that was kind of my early upbringing. You know, I didn't lack for anything. I think our cultural thing was we did not talk about money. So somewhere around, you know, my 40s, I finally had this eureka moment that despite the fact that my parents loved me and they were in their own way fairly successful, probably more successful than their contemporaries, you know, the neighbors and so on. I have acquired a lot of financial programming from them that was just like totally back as backwards. How did you leave Poland. Oh, how much time do we have? We have another half an hour. You're all mine for a half an hour. That's a long story. How much detail do you want to get into? I want to know everything. I want to know how you left Poland. That is my question. It's actually simple and complicated. And, you know, when I consider that from the perspective of time, I realize this is actually part of what I do with clients and kind of my principle for working in business 
is that sometimes the simplest path is just the simplest path. So, <laughs> again, what is a guy, you know, I'm 17, 18. I made a deal with the school that I've got the paperwork that I'm attending school. Meanwhile, I'm working on opening this money exchange thing. I'm about to sign a lease on location. If you wanted to travel to the United States, you had to go to U.S. Embassy and actually get a visa. So up until last year, about a year and a half, Polish citizens need entry visa to the United States, right? Everybody else out of uh, European countries essentially can just hop on a plane and go and you get a visa at the airport. If you want to do this from Poland, you actually have to go to American embassy and get pre-visa paperwork. You have to apply and you have to be approved. Otherwise, you can't even get on a plane. You can't even fly to the U.S., right? So now there's only one challenge. There were two embassies in U.S. and Poland in uh, Warsaw and in Krakow. And both of them, there was about a year-long line to get inside the embassy. One year wait. And the way it works, you know, like in U.S., you have neighborhood associations. Mm-hmm. So they had a line association and this association would have a meeting every week and you had to check in. And if you missed your check-in, you were out and you had to go back to the back of the line. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, I don't have a year. If I wait a year, I'll get drafted into military. I already had to go through military drafting exams. I had my A1 category prime candidate, just waited for my paperwork to arrive and say, get on this bus on the straight shop at the military base, right? I'm like, yeah. I don't have a year. I've got to do it faster. So I'm thinking, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Austria. I'm going to go to Vienna because it's a short train ride. Right Overnight, I'll be there. And in Vienna, I'm going to go to Canadian Embassy. In Canadian Embassy, I'm going to somehow get a Canadian visa because we also needed the visa to Canada. But same thing, to get to Canadian Embassy in Poland, it was like, almost a year long wait. So I'm like, I'm gonna go to Vienna. In Vienna, I'm gonna go to Canadian embassy. And then once I arrive in Canada, I'm just gonna walk up to border, wave, and then whoever the folks on the US side will go, hey, Urbanski, you are here. We're waiting for you, come on over. Seriously, like in my head, I have this vision, right? I mean, how ignorant can you be? Makes makes perfect sense. I, so I hop on a train, I hug my family, I tell all my friends, like, see you in 20 years, maybe, you know, maybe later, I don't know. It's like, we probably won't see each other in this lifetime anymore. And I go to Vienna and backpack, you know, all my earthly possessions and straight from the airport, I pull out this map and I march to Canadian embassy, march, right? I don't speak German. So I had to rely on, on this map and kind of my own way to find this way to the embassy. I get to the embassy, they let me in. And, you know, i watching movies. Most of them were Polish made about Second World War. And occasionally once a month we're treated to American Western, like cowboys and Indians. And I noticed that when, you know, people spoke slower, somehow they could understand each other even in the foreign language. So naturally, if you speak to someone who speaks Canadian, you speak Polish, you just need to speak louder and slower. And then it, it translates itself. <laughs> well, that was not the case. So, you know, somehow we understood each other and they said, okay, come back at 4 p.m. and you'll be granted an interview with a uh, ambassador. So I went to a nearby park, placed myself so I could see kind of the city tower with a clock. And I pulled out a book, pulled out of the sandwich that I had in my backpack and, you know, proceeded to wait. And then at some point it started getting dark and I realized two things. Number one, that clock tower wasn't working. And number two, my watch had stopped. 
So at this point, it's almost five o'clock. I was supposed to be there at four. So I am like running into the embassy. They're closing it. They're still at me. And at this point, there's no one who can translate or say anything. So they took my passport. They figured out I wanted a visa. They put a big old red denied stamp into this and kicked me out of the embassy. And I was like, what the hell? Now, here's the funny thing. If they gave me a visa, I had no idea what I would do. I had no funds to buy the ticket. I was just like, I don't know. The plan actually worked. I don't know what I would do. It didn't work. So I was thinking, all right, well, let me just march back to the train station, buy a ticket back to Poland. And next morning, I was like, hello, I'm back. <laughs> so that was my immigration. And then... I decided I'm going to do something different and actually check out this American embassy and see what this is really like. And maybe it's going to work. Now, what I didn't know is anything about American holidays. So I showed up there on a beautiful Thursday morning, November, pretty cold in Poland. And there's like 12 people from the embassy and they all are looking at each other and they're all asking, well, is the embassy going to be open today? Are they not opening? And I'm thinking, okay, number one, why isn't there hundreds of thousands of people wrapped out around the block four times, like there usually is. And number two, why would they be closed? It's Thursday. What's wrong with them? And they go, it's a big American holiday, don't you know? I'm like, no, it's like, it's a normal day. What holiday? Well, Thanksgiving. Right. Well, embassy was open for, I think, like two or three hours in the morning. So guess what? I just, you know, because I was there, whoever was there just got ushered inside the embassy that day. <sighs> So I get ushered in. I'm like, all right, I am inside the embassy. Holy shit. On the first day, I just showed up and there I am. So I go in and what happens is, you know, most people that were there, they already understood kind of what's going on. Many of them had family in the United States that applied for visa before. They were just like, they were old dogs. They knew exactly what's going on. I had no idea what's going on. So there was one ambassador who apparently was well known for denying visa to everybody. So I'm standing in this line behind this older gentleman and guess whose window opens? Well, her window opens and she's like next in line. And this guy turns to me and says, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I don't got time, I can wait. Now imagine this, I had a little bit more hair than I have now, young kid, this big black trench coat to my ankles. I had enough scarves on my neck. I laughed to this day. I looked like my head was literally like in the uh, stork's nest, like dee, 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 dee. You know, nothing but scarves in here. And she's in this window. She's across this probably bulletproof glass. At this point, I had no idea what it was, but she's like, well, so, you know, who are you? What do you've got? And I'm like pulling out some documentations. I'm showing, I came prepared with bank account statements. I've got some money saved up, blah, blah, blah. Just finished high school. And she's like, why do you want to go to the United States? And I said two things. I said, number one, you know, I watched those Westerns and it seems like America is such a rich country, like money grows on trees. So I want to go and see it for myself. And why now? I'm like, look at those people behind me. They're all like 80 years old. I don't want to wait that long. I want to go and see this money right now. Seriously, that's what I'm telling this woman. And she looks at me and she took my passport and said, come back again, like at some point, four o'clock, whatever it was in the afternoon. And I had no idea what it was like, holy shit, she took my passport. And what you have to know in Poland, the passport is not yours, it's the government. So I'm like, holy shit, I really messed up, I'm in trouble. So I step away from this window and into another room. And there is this group of people over there already. And the minute you finish an interview, everybody's like surrounding you. I'm like, how did it go? What did they ask? What documents do you want to know, right? And I'm like, I, I don't know. They took my passport. I think I'm in trouble. And the same guy that let me in front of him, he's now in this room. And he says, Sonny, you just got your visa. And I'm like, yeah? He said, yeah, when you come back, 
they're going to give you a passport back with a visa stamp. I'm like, oh, all right. So that's how I got my visa to the U.S. So, okay. You're in the U.S. and now I am very conscious of the time. So we are going to have to very sadly fast forward some. Okay. Because since then you started businesses, clearly your English got much better, right? Like clearly you picked up English somewhere and now you speak perfectly, right? So I'm going to have to fast forward through that part. And I want you to tell me at which point, because I know you were in the brick and mortar businesses, right? Like you grew this franchise of restaurants in Southern California. You were able to sell that. I want to know where the online coaching world came in for you. Yeah. So let me kind of give you a reader's digest here. Again, my parents had a bakery business. I was never a baker. However, just the nature of a small business run in Poland, if there was an employee that didn't show up, then you know, it was all hands on deck for holidays. I would have a small stool to be tall enough to get to the workbench and I would be just making whatever, pastries or kneading dough and shaping breads and pretty much everything that a baker would do. I could do a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. Not full from the beginning to end, but I had my awareness. And the last thing I wanted to do, seeing how hard my dad works, is being in a bakery business. Mm -hmm. But it took me 90 days to find a job in New York. And my 200 bucks did not go far. And, you know, there were days, this older lady, bless her heart, she passed away a few years ago. Mm. She knew, like, I would go and search for work all day, and I'd come back at night, and she's like, hey, you're hungry? I'm like, nah, I ate, I'm good, because I was too proud to admit, and she knew I had no money, and, like, you know, my meal was a cup of coffee, right? So mm. she just fed me. But I found this job in a Jewish bakery in Brooklyn, which still exists, by the way. And I went, I applied for the job. The guy kind of looked at me and ah, I'll call you one day. So one day at, you know, 3.30 in the morning, he calls. This lady is like, oh, you know, comes into my apartment, knocks on the door. I'm like, 3.30 in the morning, what's going on? Somebody dies. Says, hey, there's a phone for you. Some guy says he's got a job for you. And the guy says, well, if you can be here in an hour. You got a job. I'm like, all right. So I'm from Queens going all the way to Brooklyn, getting a job in a bakery you know, he pretty shortly figures out I'm not a baker, but I'm going to work my ass off. So by the end of that shift, I was a full-fledged baker because, again, there was no plan B. Yeah. Fast forward a year and a half later, long story in there. I take, I buy an old car, drive across the United States to San Diego. And same thing. I start working in different bakeries. I start getting jobs as a waiter. I uh, sign up for courses to start learning how to type and actually start learning English because it was pathetic back then, worse than it is right now. And another offer opens up in a bagel shop in Southern California. I had no idea what bagels were, but apparently out of 40 some candidates, I was the most qualified to help them open that business. Again, don't ask me how long story. And then about two or three years fast forward that another larger company was looking to grow now, at that point, I was very well versed in that business. And so I became a consultant. I helped them grow. I, and then I started buying this company chunk by chunk for two or three years. And eventually, three years later, I bought out my partners. And we ended up growing it to five locations, six locations and production plant. So it wasn't a franchise. It was all owned. Yeah. Outright, and I sold it in 2000. So from coming to the United States in 1899, December 17th, and in March of 2000, I sold off that business. So in about a decade, you know, it's like starting with 194 bucks to a multi-million dollar business. And people always asking us like, what's the story? Is What are the tricks? There were no tricks, just hard work. I was saving whatever money I could scramble, I would put away. 
And then I think that this was my lesson into leveraging money. You know, I could buy a partnership, but I was now a co-owner. And then I could leverage my partnership to buy out my partners completely at the end. Yeah. And then online coaching. All right. So that was the last part. At the end of my career in the restaurant industry, one of the consultants kind of hooked me up on self-growth. And I always listened to back then cassettes in the cars, like traveling between my locations in Southern California and traffic. I rarely listened to radio, mostly listened to self-growth programs. Mm -hmm. And this consultant hooked me up with self-growth training. And I discovered in 1999, oh my God, there's this world. Who are those people? Like self-growth, coaching. Wow, what's going on? And I was selling my business primarily to start with this consultant and one other guy, a self-growth training company. Well, that didn't pan out. Another long side story. But as that happened, I you know, sold my business and I'm like, what do I do now? And at first I wanted to teach, funny enough, guy who doesn't speak English, communication and leadership skills to corporations. That was not a very thriving proposition, but in the way of marketing it, I started becoming exposed to other consultants and coaches. And I realized that I actually knew how to go and get business. Mm -hmm. And they had no idea. They were amazing at what they do and they couldn't sell themselves. Right? Once they got into a company, they were making magic. But to get into the company, they were completely clueless. Yeah. And like when I was listening to them, they were all discussing the nuances of what they did. But I was like, guys, your clients, no one cares about any of this. You need to pick up different skills. And they were always, look, I'm 29-year-old stooge. Most of these guys are in the 50s. And they look at me, it's like, what do you know? I'm like, well, I just happened to sell this business recently that I built from scratch. And yeah, I may not look like much. I don't sound like much, but I kind of know how to grow business and make money. And it took me about a year of universe pounding on my head that, dude, you should go and help these guys learn how to grow the businesses because they're clueless and you know how to do it. And you know, again, at the same time, I realized I can go to networking meeting and spend three hours rubbing shoulders and eating the rubber chicken lunch, or I could spend the same three hours writing an article and submitting it to 20 or 30 or 40 online article libraries. And people would actually find those, read those and come and start asking me like, hey, I've got questions about your article. It was very primitive back in 2000, 2001. But I realized, you know, people that were anyone back then already heard of Tony Robbins. So Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy, they were not showing up at local networking meeting looking for clients. They had info programs. They had articles. They had cassette tapes. So I'm like, if I want to be anybody and somebody, I've got to actually do that. I've got to record my own program. I've got to write articles. I've got to teach this stuff that I know. Yeah. So because I only have like five more minutes, I want you to help our audience with something right now. So our audience are starting entrepreneurs. You've walked the walk, like this is the people that you teach. You say, let's grow your businesses, right? You've done podcasts on growing with webinars, on sales. I was just listening to you. Everybody should follow you on Facebook because the videos are just pure gold. You're just constantly pumping out content. So if I were to ask you, what are three big mistakes that you see new entrepreneurs make all the time? What would those be? Tough ones, definitely more than three. But, you know, I think the biggest one is not marketing at all. 
Hmm. All right. So I think it's the same thing for me. I sold the restaurant business and I understood the power of marketing and promotion. But service professionals, the difference is when in the restaurant business, I was marketing restaurant services and products. When I became a consultant and a coach, then I had to sell myself and lots of mental blocks about this. I had actually no idea how to sell. My first coach was actually a sales coach. So the biggest mistake people make is they think that what they do makes them money. And actually what makes them money is marketing and selling what they do. Mm -hmm. Think about it for a moment. No matter how skilled or good you are at what it is that you do, as your business grows, you should replace yourself with someone else, with another, you're just a mechanic, right? You should replace yourself with with another mechanic. So when that thing takes over and provides the service, that's your expense. You have to pay that mechanic. So that's not what makes money. What makes money is when people become aware of you and when you run conversations and, and meetings that actually convert leads into prospects, prospects into clients. So that's the biggest thing. You've got to fall in love with education-based marketing, respect-based selling processes, and you've got to become your number one biggest self-promotion machine. No one will ever promote you like you will. No one will ever. And as you grow, you've got to build systems for someone else to do that for you. The second biggest mistake is selling what you think people should buy versus selling what people would buy. So you got to sell what sells. And look, it, it doesn't mean sell things that you have no business selling, you're not familiar with, uh, that, that you read a book and you now become an expert and can sell it to other people. What it means is that you've got to find a way how to take what you are uniquely qualified to do, your unique genius, your unique skills, and find a way to match them to a need in the marketplace and find a way to explain it and package it in such a way that people go like, oh yeah, I want that. I want that. So look, when you buy a car, you're not buying an engine. You're not buying a set of wheels. You're not buying seats. You're buying all of that as a package. And the biggest mistake service professionals make is that they, you know, will tell you stories about how good the engine is and, you know, what the process of making the wheel is. No one cares. Right? People just want a vehicle that takes them from here to where they want to be. The third mistake is trying to build funnels too early. Mm-hmm. So look, building a business is a funnel. Like People have to become aware of you. They have to get to know you. They have to start knowing your proposition and then explore working with you, buy from you, and so on. But if you, if, if you can't do this, so Ina, if you and I met somewhere and we now had a conversation and we now had a video conversation face-to-face and in that process, I could not interest you in what I do. I could not move you from just being interested to actually wanting to exchange money with me. Then what makes me think you would do this by landing on some page with some text? Right. Chances of that are absolutely zero, if not less if it's physically possible, mathematically possible. So the biggest, the best thing people can do is not try to build complex funnels. It's not try to market one to many. That comes later. At first, you've got to actually prototype a really good offer, one offer for one audience, one solution to one problem and get really good at communicating, marketing, delivering that one thing. And don't look for scale. If you scale zero, it's still zero. Look for progress, right? So mistake is, what happens if, you know, too many people come to me at once? That would be a good problem to solve. Don't worry about it. Your biggest problem is how do you get one or two or three people to actually buy from you? Go do that. And the way to do this is to do this is just start having conversations with people. 
I love it. Everything you just said, it's like the Bible, like that's it. So what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful entrepreneur? Mm, I'd say three things. I know it's like, <laughs> you didn't know I was so verbose, did you? I'd say three things. Number one is that when people call me an, an internet marketer, it drives me nuts. And none of us are internet marketers, right? We are business owners and internet is just a marketing channel. Like no one says they're a TV marketer or radio marketer or newspaper marketer. They're just, we advertise. Internet is the same thing. It's just different communication medium, but that's just the medium. You don't have an internet business. You have a business and then internet is just a channel. So it drives me nuts when people do this because it actually instantly causes them to misunderstand what it will take to grow the business. They don't even know what they're building. They're not building an internet business. They're building a business and they're going to use internet to get to their clients. All right. The second thing is that I love marketing. And while it's true, I'm very good at it. But what I'm most passionate is actually transforming lives. Mm -hmm. So marketing is just the vehicle. Marketing is just a vehicle. And I'm going to actually stop with those two, right? So those it really isn't for me about, let's just, you know, what's the latest marketing tactic? I actually really don't care. And uh, at one point, I was the latest and the freshest and the biggest and the hottest. I don't really care. I want principles that I can put in play today and are going to work for me most likely 20 years from now, regardless of what's the latest tactic of the day. But the reason I love to do this is because uh, it's about transforming lives. At the end of the day, if I can impact an entrepreneur and that entrepreneur impacts other people around them, I call this limitless impact. And I can see it's almost like the ripple effect. It is a ripple effect. And that's what I love the most. Awesome. So if everybody who's listening right now had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would that thing be? You know, that's the toughest question you've asked me, I think, out of all of them. You are the action taker guy. I know that you can give us one. You know, I think I will not tell you this because the specific will be different for each person, but I will give you a methodology. And again, I'm pushing us against the clock a little bit. You've got to forgive me. But here's the thing. I, I read an article many years ago that in technology, most things that we now take for granted, like take your phone or, you know, your computer, your TV, your radio, whatever, that it became a functional product within 72 hours of a, a major trade show, industry trade show. And the reason for it, it's like you can go indefinitely and improve it and tweak it and do whatever. But then comes a trade show where your competitors, buyers, the marketplace comes and going to evaluate your gizmo. And then gizmo has to perform, right? It better perform. So those last 72 hours, like magic happens. People stay up. They don't sleep. They just, it must work. What I got from this is that so much can be done in just 72 hours. So you're talking about 24, you've been truncating that process. Essentially, for every single person, look, when I did my live trainings along four days, week-long seminars, one of the first things I would tell people is everything you hear from me over the next hour, three days a week is completely irrelevant, right? People just pay thousands of dollars. What do you mean it's irrelevant? What's relevant is not my definitions. It's not my terminology. It's not my ideas. It's the inklings, the, the ahas, the insights that you get for yourself out of this. So if you get an aha, you go, oh, I could do that. 
That's what you should focus on. So here's my 24-hour action plan. Listen to yourself out of even this conversation. Did you get an aha or two? You go like, oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. Or maybe you came to this conversation, to this interview. You you woke up this morning before you started listening to this. You had it. I, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. I could be doing this. List those ideas and select one of them. Select one of them that's most likely to give you most progress for the least amount of effort that you can start with right now, right? And then take list out of this one idea, list all the action steps needed to complete it. Like every single, even if the first step is, you know, your spouse says take the trash out. First step, take a trash out so you can focus on the step two, which whatever would be, right? List all the steps and then in 24 hours, complete all the steps that are necessary to make that idea a functioning idea. Right? It has to go from whatever to end. Look, if you're looking to start your business between now and same time tomorrow, you can have a paying client if you just execute one idea. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't build funnels. But there could be something like, hey, list a uh, four or five things you can do for people that provide value. List 25 people that you currently know that this value uh, would be of service to them. And step number three, start calling them 111, making an offer. I promise you in 24 hours, one of them will give you the check or credit card number or cash and will be your paying client. It's the fastest way, but you've got to execute. I love it. So Adam, where can people go and follow you and find you online? Fastestpathtocash.club. Fastestpathtocash.club is going to take you to our Facebook community. And if you want to visit my website, which I don't pay much attention to, but it exists, themarketingmentors.com. Awesome. Adam, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for playing with me. This was great. Thanks for having me, Ina. I appreciate you. Hey there, Ina here. After this interview, you may be wondering how Adam is able to help his clients achieve seven figures without the big website, the big audience, the big social media presence, and how you can do the same. Make sure to hit subscribe to get the next companion episode where I will teach you three things that Adam Urbanski is doing very right in his business and you need to start doing right now. And if you're an entrepreneur and you'd like to send us your tip of the week, for a chance to get featured on a future companion episode, make sure to go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash tip to request the full instructions. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.